Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, it's time for Cherokee Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Welcome to this very special edition of Cherokee Business Radio. It is time for our Trusted Advisor Series. And today's episode is brought to you in part by the Cherokee Business Radio X Community Partner Program. If you resonate with our mission and you are anywhere nearly as committed as we are to supporting and celebrating local business and community leaders here in Cherokee County, I hope you'll consider becoming a community partner. If it's an idea you'd like to pursue, just shoot us a note at stone at businessradiox.com. All right, you guys are in for a real treat. Please join me in welcoming back to the Business Radio X microphone with Nelson Elder Care Law, Mr. Josh Nelson. How you been, man? Absolutely amazing. Thanks for having me back, Stone. It's always a pleasure to come down here and see you. Yeah, we have a lot of fun in these conversations. So I can't imagine anyone within the limits of Cherokee County not knowing Josh and not knowing about Nelson Elder Care. But you know what? Let's cover our bases. Uh, give them a, a little bit of an overview and a primer. I will say this. I was uh, doing my extensive pre-show research, as you know I am known for. I'd love just right up, as soon as you go to your website, just front and center, Protect the ones you love. I love that. Great job. <laughs> you are too kind. But what we are is a law firm that specializes in helping people plan for their future and the future of their loved ones. We primarily work with people that are a little bit older, so generally 55 and up is kind of our focus. And what we do is really walk everybody through not only what happens to you while you're healthy and alive, but how that transitions to your spouse, your kids, making sure that not only do you have a pretty binder on your shelf, but you have a plan that really works. Marvelous. And you brought someone in tow with you today. Who'd you bring with you? I did. I have a good friend and a fellow attorney here, Judd Waits from the Waits Law Firm. He's right here in Cherokee County, very active in the small business community. And what he brings to the table as far as knowledge on small business matters and also what we call civil litigation is just mind blowing. So I wanted to bring him down here with us. All right. Welcome, Judd Waits, Waits Law Firm. Delighted to have you. Now, you are practicing law in a very different discipline than Josh and his team, yes? Yes. First of all, thank you, Josh, and thank you, Stone, for letting me join in today. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have a passion for fighting bullies, and that became a passion of mine when I was a kid growing up. I guess we all had those moments where we got bullied at some point in time. So it became my passion to help stop bullies because I like people and like people to be nice to each other. Um, and I decided that uh, that might be a good profession to get into. How can I make that a profession? So I became a trial lawyer where I can help make sure that fair results are obtained when there's a dispute or disagreement. And I help try to make sure that there's some fairness to the, to the end result. Um, that's the overview of why I became a, a trial lawyer. So, well, let's hear a little bit more about the backstory. Did you, like, play lawyer while everybody else was playing Cowboys and Indians, <laughs> or was there a point in, in the development of another career that you took a little little different path? Well, I've always been big into sports, and I was always fascinated with knowing the rules of the games so that I could try to get some kind of advantage that the other kids didn't know about, knowing the rules better than they did. And uh-huh. so that became a fascination for laws as I got older, um, and so that kind of led into – fed into my passion for making sure people treat each other nicely. And so it it just became a natural um, uh, pathway to to law school for me. So what are some kinds of cases or some types of challenges that your clients have that would give us a a good uh, window into what you what you do? Yeah, I do three different areas of, of law. One of them is, is very business-oriented, um, but the other two areas, first, I do a lot of work with personal injury and wrongful death cases, car wrecks. Um, I'm a former motorcycle rider, so I do a lot of, a lot of motorcycle wrecks also. That's a passion mm-hmm. for mine as a former former motorcyclist. Um, slip and fall cases, helping folks make sure they get compensated when someone else is negligent and causes them to be injured or, God forbid, lose the life of a loved one. Um, a second area I do a lot of work in is criminal defense, mostly misdemeanors, DUIs, traffic tickets, drug possessions, just making sure that they're not punished unless the government proves their case like the Constitution says they're supposed to. Uh, and then the third area, which is very heavily involved in business, is contract and business disputes. Mm-hmm. It could be anything between companies, uh, individuals, uh, employer, employee, um, non-compete agreements, collecting past due accounts. Um, and in this crazy real estate market now, I'm doing a lot of work for folks who um, have had a real estate purchase go south. And so they're fighting over uh-huh. return of earnest money or they're fighting to force the sale, specific performance. Um, so those are some examples of contract disputes that, that I handle. 
So the name of the series is Trusted Advisor. I'd like to hone in on this idea of trust a little bit, and I'm going to uh, ask both of you to, to maybe field some questions or uh, participate in this part of the conversation. But I'll start with you, Judd. Uh, it, it occurs to me that if I have some sort of problem in any of the areas that you describe, the level of trust that you must have to endear with a potential client must be incredible. How are you able to to engender that level of trust all the way from the the sales and marketing communication all the way through to the early part of the relationship? What, what insight, if any, can you maybe offer us on that front? Yeah, it's a great question. In order for it, me, you to- know, I thought it was fantastic. It took me a minute to get it out, but I thought it was a marvelous <laughs> question. <laughs> Well, for lawyers to do their job well, as Josh can attest, we have to know everything about you and your situation, yeah. which is why you know there's attorney-client privilege, right? It's a statute that says what you tell your lawyer stays confidential. That way, it, it increases the chances of the person actually being willing to share everything about the situation so that Josh can draft the proper estate documents for them, for example, and I can plan the proper trial strategy for them uh, in, in my areas that I practice. Um, so that trust is very important. How you develop it... Um, there's really no magic formula for it. You just make sure you're competent at what you do. You make sure that you convey that to them when they come to you for advice. Um, one thing that helps um, develop that trust faster is when someone's referred to me by someone else that they know and they trust, mm. and that person knows me. And so by giving my name to, to the person who needs some help, there's already some built-in trust there because they've been referred by someone that they trust as well. But having that trust is very important to not only – put the, the client at ease, but also making sure that I do as good of a job for them as I can. Yeah, I, d- I don't think from my perspective we can overstate how much gravity uh, a referral in these situations means. If I'm already working with some some other professional advisor or either just even someone I really know and trust well, and they say, oh, yeah, for that, you need to talk to Judd, uh, that, that carries an incredible amount of weight. And I think sometimes those of us in the small business arena, sometimes we forget that. But, uh, right. Well, you, you see, you know, people advertising for their businesses, which is which is fine and good, and should be done. And lawyers are no mm-hmm. different. You see the uh, the billboards and the TV commercials and radio commercials, and that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, when someone is need of in need of legal assistance, are they going to hire someone that they don't know and that they have not heard about from someone else themselves that personally does know that person? Right. Or are they going to call the stranger behind the commercial or the billboard uh, and hire someone that they've never met? Um, so I always encourage folks, even when they call me and ask me for assistance, I always encourage them to contact other lawyer, uh, lawyers also before you make a decision on who to hire so you find someone that you feel comfortable with, whether it's me or someone else, and they should do that regardless of, of who they get referred to, whether through personal reference or through a commercial. Um, it's important to make sure that you check out the options and find what's best for you. Wow. My, my first instinct was to say that's awfully gutsy, but then as you're saying that, now I trust you a little bit more just because you were willing to do that. See, it's working, isn't it? <laughs> it is working. So uh, Josh and I expect there are probably going to be some parallels in, in your answer, but how do you approach, you and your team approach this whole, this whole trust thing? I think we start with just the idea that nobody likes attorneys. Let's just start from that base <laughs> level. <laughs> for, for my publishing team, that's the caption. <laughs> That's, that's the, the that's title a, of the episode. That's the thumbnail right there. <laughs> but just in general, our profession is thought of as scary. Most people, their first Ooh. interaction is a divorce, a DUI, some kind of tragic event. And so the way that we really build trust is by trying to knock down some of those barriers of intimidation that people have whenever they come. And they think it's going to be expensive. They think that they're going to be talked down to. They think that we're going to use words or laws that they don't understand. And so what we do is always say, hey, no money down to get started with us. Let's just sit down and talk, have a conversation, sort of like what we're doing here. And then talk to them in a way that you talk to a friend. Explain principles to them that, yeah, they might be complicated, but how do we do that without using jargon or fancy words? A lot of lawyers want to puff themselves up and feel like the smartest guy in the room. And I think that goes to some of the distrust, because if you're not communicate in a way that people understand, how are they going to make an educated decision? And so we want to allow people to make those decisions. We don't really make decisions for people as lawyers. If we're doing it right, Hmm. we want to make sure that people are making their own choices, their own decisions based on a complete picture of information. And so often, especially like in the small business owner's world, 
whenever we Google something and we guess at it or whenever we ask a friend <laughs> of a friend, we just don't know that that answer fits your situation. And then you don't find out until a lot later that it's wrong. I mean, we deal with so many people, unfortunately, on the probate side of things where they thought they had a plan in place and then it just wasn't signed the right way or it didn't have the right words in it. And it cost their families thousands of bucks on the backside whenever, you know, for a couple hundred bucks in a conversation to start with, it could have just changed their whole legacy. So this this begins to sort of bump up against a, a conversation around the other aspect of the title, advisor. There is some art and science and I suspect some best practices in how you provide advice, how you provide counsel, the way that you frame it, where you where you create that uh, that level of ease that I, that I think you're apparently able to pull off. I think that's why Judd's not afraid to send his prospective clients to the competition first is because there's a reason lawyers have the reputation they do. Unfortunately, it's not always that advising. Sometimes it's talking down to people. I mean, we have friends that do bankruptcy law that unfortunately look down on people that file bankruptcy. And it's like, that's crazy for mm. that to be your calling and you to judge your client like that. A lot of times it's medical stuff. A lot of times it's just a bad hand of cards. But how do we go ahead and make sure that whenever people come in, they're feeling like we're on the same level and that they're getting the truth and the confidence to make those right decisions? So I'm sure you see a lot of patterns. What are some of the, the gaps that you see over and over, even from maybe a couple comes in and, and they've got some version of some will or something written up or typed up or whatever? Do you, are there some, some gaps that you almost always know you're going to see before you even walk into the conference room? Almost always the biggest thing we see is a lack of a plan, even in the presence of tools. So people think mm-hmm. of an estate plan as a will or a power of attorney. I won't throw anybody under the bus on your show here, but we just had a client (laughs) that has a $5 million business come in two weeks ago. She had another attorney that gave her this big, beautiful, pretty binder full of legal stuff. And it wasn't even signed right with the attorney. But not even that, it didn't work with her business. It didn't work with her finances. Her bank had never seen any of this paperwork. Her financial advisor had never seen any of this paperwork. And this is probably my pet peeve or the most common issue that I run into is people that thought they had a plan and it was just a really poor plan because it doesn't incorporate the people, the finances. It's just paper in a book. And that's probably the biggest issue we see. Yeah. How about you, Judd? Do you do you see some of the same things over and over when a when you're first initially beginning to get to know a client and understand their situation? Uh, I don't know misconceptions, myths, some holes that you just almost always are going to have to plug pretty early in those conversations. Well, I guess focusing on the uh, the business side of what I do with the, the contract disputes and all, I've been doing this this law thing for thirty years this year, my thirtieth year. Wow, you've um, you've held up well. Well, it, well, <laughs> I, you know, Flintstone vitamins are amazing. I'm a big proponent of Flintstone vitamins. Um, but some of the things I see, I, I see a, a bunch of things, which is why they're coming in to see me. Um, but in contract disputes, it's amazing to see how poorly drafted the contracts are upon which they've based this big you know, financially huge deal or partnership or, or transaction, and yet they didn't spend any time on having a contract drafted to cover all the possibilities of what could go wrong and how to address it if it does go wrong. Um, had a trial several years ago in Gwinnett County where it was a, a million-dollar uh, lawsuit. My client was being sued for a million dollars in a business deal that went, went south. Um, and it was a um, short story. They were um, going into business together to basically – Try to sell to the country of Saudi Arabia to be their representatives in front of the mm-hmm. Olympic Committee and try to convince the Olympic Committee to award you know the summer games to Saudi Arabia uh, some years down the road. Um, so the plaintiff sued my client, the defendant. The plaintiff was the one who had the connections with Saudi Arabia. My client was the one that had the money and access to the markets that could get the job done. Mm-hmm. My client signed a check for one million dollars to the plaintiff, his business partner, and. Um, they had a falling out, had a disagreement about whether or not the plaintiff did what he was supposed to do in exchange for that $1 million to, you know, part of the sharing of the, of the fees and all. The deal went south. They did not get retained by Saudi Arabia, so the plaintiff tried to cash that check anyway, even though he had not done what he was supposed to have done to earn that $1 million. 
Uh, my client canceled, you know, stopped payment on the check, and a lawsuit ensued. We had a trial. Um, my client came in to see me, and I said, where's a copy of the contract you guys are fighting over? He said, I don't have it. I said, well, does the plaintiff have it? Uh, he doesn't have it either. We've lost it. I said, did you have an attorney draft this for you? He said, no, we just scratched out some things on a piece of paper over dinner one night. Oh, my. So, you know, and so my, my catchphrase is, you had a contract on a bar napkin, basically, is what we're talking about here. <laughs> um, so we had no, no contract to, in writing to prove whose version of the events was correct. But the plaintiff had a copy of the check. So he had something in writing to show the jury. So we were very, very worried about the only thing in writing that we know for sure is my guy was going to give him a million dollars if he did something. Um, but we, uh, we did some good work preparing for the deposition of the plaintiff, and we took his d- deposition and asked him the tough questions, and we were able to get out of him during that deposition his confirmation that, yes, I did do three things for that money, and then we were able to go back and show how he did not do those three things, and we got a, a verdict in favor of the defendant at that trial. But to answer the question, contracts that are poorly drafted or lost um, mm-hmm. is, is a very common problem. And like Josh said a moment ago, if they had spent a few hundred dollars on the front end doing things properly, they could have saved themselves thousands of dollars later trying to resolve it. Um, so I'm a big fan of the uh, online you know, forms that you can go buy for $25 because they'll make me thousands of dollars later. <laughs> when they have to go litigate over those poorly drafted contracts. It reminds me of the, I saw a billboard somewhere. I think it was here in town somewhere. You know, we fix thousand dollar nose jobs or something like that. There's a, over off of Bell's Ferry, there's a brake place that always puts up the sign right next to a just brakes that says we fix $99 brake jobs directly across the street from the place that does $99 brake jobs. And it just makes me <laughs> chuckle every time I go by. Location, location, location. <laughs> So in some of these other disciplines, domains, I don't know what the right word is, but there's the personal injury stuff. Um, do you, do you, in those cases, I, I'm operating under the impression that the answer is earlier is better than later, but when should you reach out to get professional representation? But pretty quickly, yes? Absolutely. Um, when someone is injured or, or you know, someone has lost the life of a loved one, mm-hmm. you know, if you're injured, the first stop should be obviously getting some medical help to stop, start the healing process and trying to get better as best you can from yeah. the injuries you've sustained in, let's say, motorcycle wreck. Um, so it's very important to make sure you take care of you and your health first. Um, but once that's done, then yes, the next call should be to, to an attorney who knows what they're doing and can help advise you through the process of making sure that, that um, evidence is preserved, um, that you have not um, been asked questions by the opposing person who may have caused the wreck or their insurance adjusters who are investigating it or um, really anyone that may be asking questions about it while you're in a state of pain and recovery. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people who are not lawyers will say things that they think means A, B, and C, but in fact, under the law, it means X, Y, and Z, and that can determine whether or not you win or lose your case. So getting counsel early on can help you avoid those potholes that you may not know are there. Well, no, that's a great pro tip, right? Because I, I suspect that you have had clients or potential clients come to you that have already done some things they hadn't, should not have done yet, and it makes your job that much harder. And yeah, that you see that sometimes, right? Absolutely. And and for example, in a uh, in a motor vehicle wreck, whether it's car or truck or or, or motorcycle, um, if the injuries are significant, then the amount that the injured person who is not at fault may be entitled to. That amount that they're entitled to get may be more than what the insurance coverage is for the person who caused the wreck. Mm. So then they have to hopefully, they'll have uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage on their own policy, which will kick in additional amounts to the injured person from from their own insurance policy as if it were insurance for the person who caused the wreck. So I always advise clients, get UM coverage added onto your own policy so that it will act as if it's insurance for the other driver who hits you one day and they're at fault. It can pay you additional amounts. Um, But I had a case where uh, a client came to me after they had already tried to settle with the other driver's insurance company on their own and didn't want to incur attorney's fees, which I'm a big fan of saving money, too. I use my coupons like everybody else. (laughs) But they tried to save having to pay an attorney to make sure they got top dollar. By doing so, they settled with the driver's insurance company that Mm -hmm. caused the wreck in such a way that it prohibited them from being able to collect the additional amounts that they were entitled to on their own UM policy. So they caused themselves a couple hundred thousand dollars because of trying to save some money and do things on their own on the front end. And and they probably didn't even realize it, but by taking that action and signing off on something that precludes them from taking some further action. 
Yeah, and it's not a matter of, of the person not being a smart person. Right. It's simply a matter of that these are complex legal questions that are governed by laws that change every time Georgia legislature gets together. They can change some laws and revise them. That's why we have to go to continuing legal education every year to stay on top of these changes in the laws. And every day there are new cases that are being interpreted by the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court of Georgia that may be a different interpretation today than it was yesterday. So it's not a matter of a person who's injured in Iraq saying, I'm a smart person, I can handle this on my own. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of being on top of the changes that occur on a regular basis. And attorneys uh, that know what they're doing and do it the right way are on top of those things and can help you avoid you know, signing a release that now prohibits you from getting additional monies from your own insurance coverage on top of what you got the first time. I want to go back to one thing that he said, though, because I think he glossed over the, the uninsured motorist coverage. He came and spoke to my team, and one of the ladies on my team took what he said to heart. She loves her insurance agent. He's a great guy. But because of some cost prohibits that she had, she was saving like 6 bucks a month by not having this coverage. Mm. And after Judd came and talked to her, she got it. Literally a couple months later, she ends up getting hit by a guy that's got no insurance. Wow. And without this, she would have just had her car totaled out like, I mean, because she didn't have full coverage, but she had this to kind of pick up the slack. And it changed her life. And it's not that her insurance guy wasn't good. It's Mm -hmm. not that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to. But it's just the simple stuff where you don't know what you don't know. And if your advisor isn't telling you, hey, Stone, it's worth the six bucks to make sure you got this covered. You're like, oh, well, I'm saving 72 bucks a year. (laughs) I love happy endings. I'm glad to hear that. And UM coverage is so dirt cheap. You, you, the main chunk of money you're paying for auto insurance coverage is for the liability coverage when you're at fault and cause the wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, but to add on top of your own auto insurance policy, you know, the additional coverages like UM coverage, it's so cheap. Everybody should have at least minimum $100,000 UM coverage add-on type coverage. Holly, that's my wife. If you're listening, please pull the insurance file. We have got to go look at it. No, it, it's wonderful to, to collect this kind of insight from people who this is their specialized expertise. And so if you ever want to get just just tons of great free consulting guys, get your own radio show. <laughs> start start your show and just invite people that know, that know stuff. Uh, speaking of education, I'll ask you both. I'll start with you, Josh. Uh, as you were deciding to pursue this path as a career, did, did it ever give you pause that, that you were going to have to go get all this additional education? Because it's quite a bit bit more education, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the problem is whenever you first start down the path, you don't see how high the summit really is. Mm-hmm. And so I started in tax law. That's really where I was passionate about. And I love doing it. But at the same time, what I didn't realize was – Average people can't afford to really hire an attorney to fight the IRS. It's mm. too expensive. Yeah. And so in order to help people, I had a transition, and that's where I joined uh, Cindy Nelson, my mother, at Nelson Elder Care Law. And that was a whole shift of years of extra learning, a lot of extra mm. courses. And sometimes it's just going to the court and finding out. Unfortunately, what we do is pretty Google-proof. You can't just type into even like Google (laughs) Scholar and find out this is what happens whenever you want to protect your assets from Medicaid. And so even up to last week, we're back in the courts doing trials and Mm -hmm. testing the strategies that we do to make sure that these work for people. And so we're undefeated in Medicaid cases taking a trial, and we do pretty aggressive plans. A lot of people will tell you, if you don't plan five years in advance, you're going to lose everything. And we have some people that are able to save 60, 70, 90% of their stuff, even whenever they only know a couple months in advance that their loved one's going to the nursing home. And the only way we learn that is by having the fortitude to take it to trial. I I can see now clearly competency, if that's the right word. It's a moving target in your fields. I mean, you guys have got to consistently be up to date with all of these changes and there's no way the layperson could even begin to to, to do that i don't think but, uh, or want to or want to <laughs> amen. amen no i just mailed a tax package off because there's no way i'm gonna fire up one of those tax programs no it's not gonna happen how about you judd did you take any pause at all before you just you went through this whole law school thing uh on the front end 
Uh, no, because I have a high tolerance for pain, apparently. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I come from a background of, of you know, learning from, and, and sports has been a big part of my life growing up. So mm. you always learn, you know, a lot of life lessons from, from being in sports, you know, and times get tough. You suck it up and you stay in there and you keep your nose down and keep to the grindstone and you keep working and you, you just you tough it out until you get to the to the end zone. Um but um, so, yeah, it, it wasn't a daunting task for me because I knew that's what I wanted to do. I had a passion for it. So after high school, four years of college, three years of law school. Um, but um, but, yeah, as you said, it's it's a it's a continuing obligation to be competent at what we do, to stay on top of those changes in the laws. Um, and that's why when people call me and say, you know, Judd, I need to have a, a will done and a special needs trust. And there are different types of trusts uh, out there as a legal term. And that's not my area of law. So you need to call Josh for that kind of expertise because there are more different areas of law than there are different areas of medicine. So you mm. just you can't be good at all areas of law. So, right. um, so you know you can you can be on top of you know three or four areas. I feel like you know and stay on top of those changes, especially if you've been doing it as long as I've been doing it. You can keep up with those types of changes. But if you start trying to be the master of all trades, then that's a, a recipe for disaster for the client and and for the attorney trying to do that. And, and Josh, you had I think you mentioned earlier in the conversation you had Judd came in and, and spoke with your staff. Yeah, so we have a pretty big team right now. We're up to about 30 people. And wow. so we let other professional advisors, other people come in and kind of speak with our team. He works a lot with our marketing department just because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, whenever you have like a wrongful death case or somebody that's passed away, especially if they don't have a plan in place in advance, they got to go through a probate process to get access to those funds even after they win. That's the ugly word, right? Probate. We don't, we don't want any more of that than we have to, right? Or Is even, that true? It's something you definitely want to avoid, but even whenever somebody doesn't pass, maybe they're disabled to the point that they can't mm. work any longer, and so they qualify for some government benefits to help subsidize their cost of living, and then all of a sudden they get a settlement check that will take away those benefits if they don't plan for it. And so we work a lot with... Judd and different people that are trying to just get what's just. And sometimes those rules and regulations just aren't written so that the normal person without some planning can make that happen. Yeah. So how does, and I'm going to ask you both this, how does the whole sales and marketing thing work for a firm like yours? Do you do the billboard thing? Do you have people out there sort of shaking the bushes a little bit? Or is it, you know, folks like Judd steering people in the right direction or a little bit of all of that? I hear people tell me that radio's the avenue to go. Oh, with. absolutely. So particularly the kind we do here at Business Radio. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, we do all kinds of things. I mean, it's everything from trying to advertise on social media and Facebook yeah. to going out in the community. We work with a lot of not uh, nonprofit charities that help seniors mm. in Cherokee County. Like, we don't participate in, like, the big ALZ Alzheimer's Foundation stuff because the money doesn't stay here local. Mm. So instead we work with like the Volunteer Aging Council who just recently rebranded and we were able to give them like thousands of rolls of toilet paper that then they give to the community because even in a county like ours that has a medium home price of over 300 grand, there's people living in just despair and poverty and unfortunately a lot of them are seniors. I got to say, five-star review on Nelson Elder Care Law involvement in the community, at least here in my backyard. Uh, someone on your staff, Janet, I can't begin to pronounce her last name, so I just call her Janet, Janet P. But anytime I'm anywhere around town, at, at any function, uh, Janet's there. And and she's she's not there dancing around and saying how great Nelson Elder Care Law is. That's not she's she's not. No. Well, oh, sorry, Janet. No, she represents you very well, and it, and it's very clear to everyone there that that you guys are genuinely invested in the community. We aren't trying to be a statewide firm. We don't go down into Atlanta. Really, what we help is people from Cobb County, kind of that seventy five up five seventy five five fifteen mm-hmm. corridor. And that's where we put back our resources. And so whenever we can give back, whenever we can help, we do a lot with veterans, even with uh, different organizations that help seniors. They're just always in need. I mean, it's crazy to think that food stamps for a senior is 17 bucks a month. Like, what are you going to buy for that? That's just crazy. Yeah. No, I had no idea it was that low. Ouch. Because you hear in the news that it's like hundreds of dollars. 
Right. And it's just not for seniors. I have a commitment to myself. I don't watch the news. <laughs> I've stopped. <laughs> we find that by putting time back into it rather than just going and spending on billboards and things like that, mm-hmm. we can get a better drive in the community with the kind of people we want to work with are the kind of people that appreciate that kind of return to where we live. Yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Judge? You're not a billboard lawyer either, are you? Or is there a billboard or two around town? No, there, there's not a billboard or, or, or two around town. I'm, I'm, uh, it's a it's a moving target, you know. It, and and yeah. lawyers are business owners, like every other business owner. We have yeah, above seen. and beyond everything, these guys were talking to you guys about. They have to run a business. It's, it's <laughs> so a business, so we have the yeah. same concerns as every other business owner about overhead right. and marketing and so forth. So it's it's uh, it's constantly being something that that I always evaluate and reevaluate and come back to. Um, but it's, I, I kind of see it as a, a two, two-sided coin. I want to you know get the name out there and grow my business like everybody else wants to grow their businesses as well. But I also want to give back to the community like, like Josh and, and their firm do a great job of that. Um, so by putting your heart in the right place and focusing on giving back, you get paid back just because of that effort. You impress people with your giving mm-hmm. back and that's not why you want to do it, but you get paid back nicely with referrals and people have, who, who rely on you and trust you to help them when they have legal questions. Those, those come about organically from just doing the right thing and trying to give back. So um, I'm active with uh, fundraising each year for the Cherokee uh, County Family Violence, Violence Center um, mm-hmm. um, and they do motorcycle rides to raise funds and I'm a sponsor of, of that. Um, uh, also, um, try to stay involved professionally as well. I'm the current vice president of the Blue Ridge Bar Association, which is just what most folks would call the Cherokee County Bar Association, a group of lawyers and judges. Um, and then um, I'm also heavily involved in the uh, Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce. So I try to make sure I have a good mix of pure business entities to help myself and other business owners. We share experiences to grow together, but also giving back to those in need in the county. That reminds me, we're going to have to come up with a different name for our bar association because it's a different, I know every bartender in town and (laughs) (laughs) we probably have to come up with a different name. Your membership dues may be a bit higher than what we're paying. (laughs) I'm just guessing. You need to try and structure it the same way though. So once a month you rent out of space, you get great food, have a couple drinks. There you go. I like it. I like it. I I know it's clear both of you really enjoy practicing your craft. You, You appreciate the the relationships that you build in, in doing your work and in serving the community. Uh, what are you finding that you enjoy the, the most at this point in your career? What, what, uh, what are you finding the most rewarding right now, Jed? It really hasn't changed since, you know, day one um, of, uh, you know, what I call fighting the good fight, you know, mm-hmm. right? trying to, to get what, what's fair for my client. Um, and a lot of people have uh, this mindset, unfortunately, uh, over the past 20 years especially, you know, we've heard the phrases, you know, tort reform, we need to change the laws regarding ability to go to court and stop people suing for no reason at all and just, you know, trying to be greedy. And that's that's just a misconception. There are already te- um, um, statutes and procedures in place that have been there since day one of our legal system that allow judges to see this case has no merit, I'm going to throw it out. Mm-hmm. And lawyers... You know, and I, I believe that most people in most professions are good and do do it for the right reason and do a, a good job at it. But we all have those bad apples. But I, I believe that most attorneys are good people trying to do the right thing. So we we ourselves ferret out and and you know throw out those cases before they ever get to a courtroom. I'll get a lot of phone calls from folks that are good people. They just don't know the answer to the questions. And when I give them the answer, now I understand why you're upset about what you're going through, but unfortunately the law does not allow you to recover for that type of, of, of case. So unfortunately I will not be able to help you out. So there's already a great weeding out system in place that we've had, you know, since day one. Um, so when people say, you know, uh, well, I don't want to be the one that sues people in court. I'm not that type of person. Well, it takes two to tango. The reason you're going to court is because the plaintiff and the defendant were not able to agree on what they thought would be a fair number to compensate the mm. plaintiff, the injured person, for what happened. So it, it's not that the plaintiff is making us go to trial and drag people into serving a jury. It's both sides of the case are causing people to have to come in and serve on the jury because they can't agree on it. So we're going to trust you 12 people here in our community to decide it for us. See, so, now there's a perspective you don't get at the barbershop, right? You get, oh, we need tort reform, we need... <laughs> But less than informed opinions, probably. Right. right. And, and change t- my barber shop. <laughs> if your barber's using the word tort, that's blowing mine out of the right. water. That's automatic DQ right there. What's the most fun for you, Josh? 
I think the biggest thing is just seeing the impact as we grow. And so our firm structured a little different where we're purposely trying to grow, not just for revenue and profit, but we always measure our success in what we call number of families helped. And so inside of our firm, we don't talk about revenue per month or revenue per year. We talk about how many families did we help this week? How many families are we going to help this month? Whenever our marketers go out, what their key performance indicator or KPI is, is how many people did we convert to help their family? We really do live and die by that idea of protecting you and your loved ones and doing it the right way. So rather than pushing just revenue, which is like put everybody in the most expensive plan possible, we get a lot of people that we do a lot of good for that pay us a couple hundred bucks. Sometimes all you need is somebody to walk you through something for an hour. Mm -hmm. You don't need a thousand dollar plan or a multi-thousand dollar plan a lot of people do and we need to make sure we educate them the right way so being sure that as we grow we still feel small that every family feels like they're the only family we care about is probably my biggest win right now i gotta tell you man that's metrics that matter that's 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 the phrase that comes to mind for me the, the number of families served i love it yeah i think as business owners we always struggle with what's your what's your one thing that matters right like how do you say at the end of the day we did a great job and so right now it's really tracking how many families did we help and so it's not just the people it helps culturally so that we're not saying oh we brought on this many cases this month right it's like no we worked with this many families this month so let's go there a little deeper. Let's kind of back to the business side of this conversation. It's one thing for Josh Nelson to have this ethos, this value system, this behavioral pattern, and, and Judd as well. But when it comes to re- recruiting, selecting, developing people, man, that's got to be a hard road to hoe. How do, how do you inculcate that with your team? Absolutely. I mean, so even right now, whenever people are struggling to stay fully staffed and bring people on and let me not downplay the fact that we are as well, we brought on a lady who has years of experience just working with what we call people and culture. And so she's truly, her title is the director of people and culture in my firm. We go through and make sure that we're taking care of our team so that they can take care of the families because that's where it all starts at. And whenever we hire people, We hire people based on their core values aligning with our core values. And I think that sounds easier than it really is. Just determining your business's core values is pretty hard. And so we took up what's called EOS or the Entrepreneurial Operating System. I've heard of that. And it has been transformative for us where before we had some turnover just because we were getting just like butts in the seat. We'd have people that, you know, your front desk person, your intake people – they all need to live and die by your core values. And we probably didn't always execute on that. We had a lot of turnover just because we were like, oh, I just need you to answer the phones or I just need you to seat and greet people whenever they come in. And once we started getting more particular about that and making sure that we had somebody on the team that was doing personality tests, so we do Colby tests for everybody that comes in, it's a lot more expensive to hire somebody that way. But they last so much longer. And whenever you get people that know what they're doing, that have been with the firm for a year, three years, seven years, it makes a world of difference in the client experience. So it's really expensive maybe not to hire them that way. (laughs) It's another way to look at it, right? I think it really is. And that's why we look at like families health is our number one metric rather than revenue or profit. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I've made less money in the last two years than I did any of the years before even though we helped more families, but I feel better about it because we helped more families. Judd, I'm, I'm so sorry I asked Josh first. I don't know how you're going to follow that, but I'm, I'm willing to bet you have some insight on this front too. Right? Well, when you have no good questions, you just tell the judge, judge I don't have any further questions for this witness. The witness may please, please dismiss the witness from the front today. I'll, I'll sit down now. No, no um, that's a great answer. As far as, um, you, know, you know, I guess my law firm's vision um, I like staying small. I don't want to grow and become, you know, the next big law firm. That's that's not in the plans. At least not for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a family first guy. You know, Jesus and kids, and then lawyer uh, are the order of the things that, that mean the most to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the flexibility that being self-employed. I'm my own law firm, keeping it small. 
I like the flexibility that it gives me to be able to go to kids' games and take them in practices, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, go to this, you know, take the kids to this church camp or, or what have you. Um, and so um, I've been vetting my cases more than I have in years past and not taking all the cases that I used to, which is scary as a business owner. I'm going to say no to some business that I used to take, um, but by focusing more on the more severe cases, uh, the more severe injuries or, um, you know, the more, um, uh, I guess, long-lasting relationships with companies that have, unfortunately, contract disputes come up a lot or, fortunately, want to have a lot of contracts reviewed because they're doing a lot more business mm -hmm. and they're smart and they're doing it on the front end. Judd reviewed this contract before we have to start at carrying and executing it and, and before problems arise. Um, so I've been focusing more and being a little bit more picky than usual than I used to be on who I am willing to take on as a client um, because it allows me to give the same quality service I've, I've been giving to my clients, but also maintain the flexibility that I, that I want to have as a business owner and a family man. So have you had one or more mentors along the way and or do you find yourself um, sometimes mentoring other people either in your discipline or in business in, in general? Uh, yeah, I, I met a, uh, an attorney when I was in college uh, who was a family friend and um, he did real estate closings actually in South Georgia. Mm. But um, we uh, we became friends, and I told him of my desire to go to law school one day, and so he was greatly uh, uh, you know, encouraging me and and, and uh, telling me that, that you really should do that. And so he he um, was able to um, uh, well, he went to Mercer Law School down in Macon, which is where I ended up going. So that tells ah, you how much influence he yeah, had. Yeah, no me. kidding. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed the experience down there going to Mercer Law School, um, smaller towns. So I'm not as, I wasn't distracted away from studying as much as I could have been in a bigger city. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, but he was a, a big mentor for me, uh, Frank Horn uh, Jr. He had served in the legislature in Georgia for ten plus years, I think, um, back in the day. Um, so he was one of the ones that helped really kind of add more fuel to my to my passion to want to go to law school um and um this sounds corny but it's true um you know the book um to kill a mockingbird mm -hmm. and then there's the famous play which i think henry fonda was in the movie um 12 angry men yeah. um those are you know stories about lawyers that really uh, really impacted me early on in my life and they've stuck with me as a matter of fact when i'm asked to speak at different engagements i like to do a little okay who was paying attention and ask a question and whoever gets the answer correct first will get a free copy from me of the play 12 angry men nice um, but uh, but those those you know those books really kind of impacted me as well as far as mm -hmm. me being a mentor to others I like to think I've been a mentor to others either by beating them in court and they learned how to do it the right way or <laughs> tongue in cheek, laugh out loud, um, or by folks that may have been uh, junior associates that were working underneath mm -hmm. my supervision back in the, the days when I was working for law firms before I went solo um, in 1999. So hopefully I've been able to, and I learned from other attorneys too, by going up against them. I see where I could have done something a little better on that issue or that motion. Um, so it's, it's kind of sharpening your, your blade by constantly being in battle type, type situation. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Uh, mentors in your life, or are you finding yourself doing some mentoring, Absolutely. whether formal or not? Um, I'm a big fan of the idea of modeling. So finding somebody that can do or is at where you want to be at and just mm -hmm. copying how they got there. Like, you don't have to figure out your own roadmap to get there. Yeah. It's um, always been a big fan of, like, Tony Robbins and that kind of aspirational modeling that he does. So I work with a couple coaching organizations as well that are nationwide. One's actually based out of Atlanta here. One's based out of Miami. And we go do like quarterly events where they help you just develop different business parts. So making sure that whenever you run your business, it's by the numbers that you understand what the capacity is so that you're not asking your staff to do crazy stuff and that they're burning out. And then ultimately our people and culture directors really helped us develop our own team. Not everybody's going to be with you forever. And I think that's an important thing for business owners to grasp. Mm. Let's have a real conversation that if this isn't your career path, how we can help move you in the direction. So I have a great young woman on my team right now who wants to get into politics. And because of the connections that we have with some of the nonprofits we do, just being a lawyer in general and kind of our uh, ties to the regulators, we can introduce her to people that will move that career path forward, even though right now she works as an admin on my team. And so helping people really have that conversation of don't just surprise me with your two weeks notice. Let's know that you're leaving and leave on great terms and leave with you having nice. a path. 
you know, I have a lot of people that start as like right now I have a front desk person that wants to be an HR. Well, I have a two person HR team right now. I can help get her some experience so that whenever she wants to grow into that HR role, she's going with a resume that shows definable real things that she's done. So not just that resume fluff, but Hey, here's what it's like to put a job posting up. Here's what it's like to prep for an interview question. Here's what it's like to review those based on a rubric. If somebody came to that, even though they might not have been an HR person, but they have experience doing that, it's going to give her an entry level HR job above any other candidates that are just coming even like fresh out of school. I mean, we all know that sometimes school doesn't set you up for the working world. Right. And so uh, that's been one of the biggest things over the last year is just making sure that we're having those blunt and honest conversations about what people really want to do and then helping them go there. So when you're not lawyering, uh, where do you go to, to recharge? Is, is it reading? Is it travel? What, what, what do you enjoy doing to kind of refresh yourself? I wish it was riding a bicycle and exercising, but that's <laughs> not the truth. Um, I love working on cars. So I work on pre-World huh. War II Fords. So like right now I'm putting together a 1938 Ford business coupe and just going and like building it from the ground up, doing the mechanicals, doing the body work. I love painting cars. I know that it's like cancer in a bag, but it's, (laughs) it's just been my hobby for over 20 years now. I am so glad I asked that question. What you just—you never know what you're going to learn about someone. How about you, Judge? That's what I'm going to take away from today. Cancer in a bag. That's yeah, really? the catchphrase. <laughs> it's going to be like that song. I can't get out of my head now. Thank you, Josh. Well, if you look at like all those auto, like um, even like air, the aircraft paint remover used to be sold on the shelves, and it's not even right. sold anymore. It was always funny because on the back of it says "Do not use on aircraft" because it like corrodes aluminum. <laughs> but they don't even sell it anymore because the it. Um, there were some mass tort cases where come to find out it causes cancer. yeah. So on that pleasant note, Judd, where, where do you go to recharge, man? Let's see. I like to uh, I like to be with my kids and do things with my kids. So we'll go outside and play sports together, or go to the movies, or um, I like to go out on the boat. You know, in the summertime and, and do some boating and all, and, and spend time on the water. Um, but I try to set aside time for myself. You know, at least once a week for just you know my time and. Um, I find that hitting a tennis ball really hard helps take out some of the frustrations I may have had that week. So I've been playing tennis now uh, in these different leagues they have available for the past year and a half or so. Before that, I was playing in a men's uh, baseball league, uh, men's senior baseball league, MSBL, uh, which is a lot of fun. But as I got older, playing a game once a week from April through August, in my 30s, I'd limp for two days after the game. In my 40s, <laughs> I'd limp for four days after the game. And then when I got to my 50s, I was limping for six days after the game. So really, I only felt good on the next game day. So I decided I need to find a new sport where I'm not, you know, you know, hurting my hamstrings like, like this. I'm just not the man I used to be. So, um, But getting outside, spending time outside with the kids and then playing yeah. some sports is, is fun for me. How many kids do you have? Uh, I've got two. I've got a ninth grader. She's in lacrosse and a, a sixth grader who has finally convinced Daddy, using his excellent lawyerly persuasive <coughs> argument skills, to let him play tackle football this coming fall. Oh, so, my. Yeah, so he finally won the athletes. argument. Yeah. <laughs> How fun. All right, before we wrap, uh, let's, uh, if we can, let's leave our listeners with a few basic tips in, in each of your domains and, I don't know, some, some do's and don'ts or, you know, just some things that they can, what they need to do is get on the phone with you. But, but. You know, short of that, what are some things we ought to just keep in mind or definitely do this or don't do that when it comes to, to your area? Um, I guess my three areas, maybe some quick bullet points would be in the uh, if you're ever injured because of someone else's negligence or, you know, someone has lost their life that's that's a family member. Um, just make sure that you do what you need to do to get better physically and, and follow the doctor's advice. A lot of folks out there. Uh, have questions sometimes. Judd, you're the lawyer for me. Should I go see a chiropractor? Should I go see a specialist? Should I not? That's not my field. You need to just follow what the medical experts are telling you and make the decision on what you think is best for you and um, and just get better. You focus on getting better and let me worry about the legal issues and getting compensation for what happened to you. Um, they try to you know handle too much and they ask great questions, but the answer is you just focus on getting better and let me handle the rest. Um, as far as um, criminal defense is concerned, uh, don't break the law would be a good, good tip. Uh, but if you do, or if you're accused falsely of a breaking law, you know, call me and I'll help uh, help you in that situation. Um, but since we are on you know a business radio X, some some tips real quick on the business side of it. Um, have a written contract. Mm. Even when you have a family member that you're doing business with, 
you should really have a contract even more so because of that. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen uh, family businesses go south and one of the members has come to me for representation and it's, it's nasty. It gets sick and it doesn't just ruin the business relationship, but it also ruins the family relationship as well. So yeah. just get, get whatever deal you're going to be doing with someone, get it in writing and sign off on it. Have a lawyer look at it first to make sure it says what you want it to say and, and all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. If you can't get a written contract done, then at least confirm in writing what the agreement was. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, let's say you, Stone, and I had a deal where I was going to cut your grass. It was verbal. We did it. You know, we talked about it in the street, you know, by the mailboxes. You're going to pay me 20 bucks to cut your grass once a week. It's not in writing. I'm going to send you a text or an email that says, hey, Stone, great seeing you today by the mailbox. Um, listen, I really appreciate you, you know, letting me cut your grass once a week for 20 bucks. Signed, Judd. At least you have that as a writing email, right, or yeah, text. Yeah. You can print that out and show the judge and jury if it's ever questioned. So at least send a confirmation letter, email, or text confirming the terms of your agreement if you do not have a full-fledged signed contract at least. Excellent. All right. So if our listeners would like to reach out and have a conversation with you or, or someone in your circle, let's leave them with some points of contact, whatever you think is appropriate, website, email. Uh, what's the best way for them to, to, to reach out? Yeah, sure. Two things. The uh, website, uh, www.waits-law.com. It's just my last name, W-A-I-T-E-S-law.com. Uh, or my office number um, is 770- Four two zero six five six six, and I'm in court half the time, so it forwards wow. automatically to my cell phone when you call me. Um, but it does not accept text messages. I prefer email uh, for various reasons. Um, but seven seven zero four two zero six five six six will get me as well. Fantastic. All right, leave us with some tips, Josh. You got anything we ought to just be thinking? Have it kind of in the front of our mind when it comes to this whole business of of planning and absolutely. So first things first. I come from a family business. I've had plenty of entrepreneurs in my family and so I just want to reiterate what Judd was saying there. Make sure you have it in writing. How many times other family businesses come to me and my mom and are like, how do you guys keep doing this through all the ups and downs? It's because it's written out. It's Mm. always better to make that agreement whenever things are good because if you can't get it agreed upon when things are going well, it's not going to work whenever things are going bad. And then lastly, uh, just a point from like the estate planning side where our focus is Make sure that you check your beneficiaries, that your life insurance, even your bank accounts, like your checking account, have what's called a POD or payable on death. Any deposit account you can skip probate with just by going and talking to your bank. Make sure that that beneficiary on your IRA doesn't say the estate of Josh Nelson, that it actually says your wife, your kids, whoever you wanted to go to. Excellent. Excellent counsel from both of you. All right. This has been an absolute delight, incredibly informative and inspiring for me. Thank you, gentlemen, both of you, for coming in and hanging out with us and sharing your insight and perspective. Uh, Thanks so much for having us, Stone. Yeah, Thank you, Stone. All right. This is Stone Payton for our guest today, Josh Nelson and Judd Waits and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Trusted Advisor Radio. Mm -hmm.